0: This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit.
1: I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently, and we get to know them in a different way.
0: In my book, Standout, I actually share a uh, framework how ideas spread, how you can build a following around your ideas. The first step, the network, is where you begin to get your inner circle. It helps you, number one, think sharper. You know, Who are the people that help improve your thinking so that your ideas are worthy of being spread? Number two, you start to build your audience. Once you have something that seems like a pretty good idea, you start talking about it, right? You've got to put it out there so that people can dis- discover it. The final stage is you build a community. And this is where Things really start to gain traction because at this point, if you start to bring together the people who care about your ideas, then they begin talking to each other, and so it has the possibility for exponential growth.
1: Today, we have a special guest. Dory Clark is a marketing and branding expert who teaches at Duke University School of Business. She's an author of Entrepreneur You, Reinventing You, and Standout. And Dory and I speak the same language, and I'm pumped to dive in today and look at business differently. But, you know, first I want to start, uh, Dory, kind of story of story of my life. And go into, we're part of two industries when we first started that many would say are dying. The baseball industry, the numbers are going down, the average age is getting older. And you were part of the newspaper industry as a journalist. How did your role in that industry affect you? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I know we chose really well, huh? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yes, I, I agree entirely. I think, I think that when you are when you are in an industry or a company that is growing rapidly, it can mask all manner of sins because, uh, you know, from a marketing perspective, because you don't have to try as hard. You have, you have momentum behind you. And so even if you're not doing the right things or you screw up, it's, it's very hard for you or anyone else to notice that because there's so much traction moving you forward. But when you are in an industry that other people are bailing on and that, that has, um, stagnated or plateaued or, or had some slowing growth, you really get your metal tested. It is the place where the good the good marketers very quickly get separated mm-hmm. from uh, from the bad ones and and you you can see and appreciate the value that, uh, that that great marketing and branding can provide. And so for me, with my time in the newspaper industry, it was relatively short, uh, but, but pretty, pretty impactful. Um, I came in, I, I think probably the biggest lesson that I draw from it is that, first of all, um, it's really hard for anyone, you know, even, even if you try to be, you know, a smart person and a smart observer, it's really hard for anyone to, in the moment, be able to understand the macro forces at play. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the newspaper industry. I got laid off in 2001, and that that was really the the beginning of the end. It, 2000 was actually the the high point for the newspaper industry in America. It was the most lucrative year ever for newspapers. Wow. Things were
1: going great.
0: Yeah. And then immediately it started on this terrible cascade, which has led to nearly 40 percent of American journalists losing their jobs over the last you know 15 to 20 years, and. I think that um, that what we need to realize and draw from that, all of us, is that change can happen if not overnight very close to it and that we are not in a position to see it at the time and so we need to be – as resilient as possible uh, to prepare for these unexpected situations and, and be be willing and hopefully excited to reinvent ourselves. So it's, it's about kind of maintaining this attitude of, of nimbleness and adaptability because you never know when it is going to come in handy for you. Well, you, so you get
1: laid off, but the how are you excited to say, you know what, let's reinvent? I mean, you were forced to, but how did you get excited? And now it seems like this has been a passion for you studying this. Like, where did that come from?
0: Yeah, the truth was initially I was not excited at all. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Yeah, I think I think for 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 most people, you know, there's kind of like these these Kubla Ross stages of of <laughs> grieving, and you're you're kind of you're kind of like WTF, like yeah. what you know? I had a plan here, <laughs> and uh, and so you have to you have to kind of recognize that that a part of a part of being willing to reinvent and and actually coming to believe that it's exciting is understanding that you do kind of have to give up that initial dream and just make your peace with it. Like, okay, guess that's not going to happen. Um, but uh, you know, as, as we, as we probably have all seen in a lot of different areas of our lives, clearing out the stuff that doesn't work makes room for the stuff that does. It makes room for things that, that oftentimes can be even better. I mean, the truth is, you know, if we're if we're dealing in counterfactuals, um let's pretend I didn't lose my job at the newspaper mm-hmm. and I had sort of progressed. The truth is I would have been advancing in an industry that everything would have been, would have been a slog. Yeah. You know? People people were not really getting promoted very fast because because any, anyone who had seniority and wanted to stay in their job, they were clinging to it like a life raft mm-hmm. because there was nowhere else for them to go. And so it would have actually been a terrible place for, for a young reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would not have had the opportunities that people five years or 10 years or 20 years before me would have had. And so if you are in a position that is, that is not going to be good or not going to be right over the long term. It's better to get out early. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like you know the advice people give with dating, right? Like you know you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and everybody's like, "Well, you know, th- thank goodness you know that now. Thank goodness you know you're, you weren't married or something." And it's it's really similar with careers. So the place that I actually got excited about reinventing was was later on. You know, sometimes you have to you have to kind of. Uh, Perform your way into yeah. seeing it and believing, but I but I came to realize afterwards that oh you know a lot of these things that didn't work out it it actually it actually was better not not necessarily in some you know faded it was meant to be kind of way although you know who knows maybe it was but but really just in a more technical sense there was a reason it didn't work out there was and and the reason you know I think I was a perfectly fine reporter. But it didn't work out because the industry was collapsing and I don't want to be in a collapsing industry. And so it it freed me up to have a lot more adventures that, that really did um, enrich my life and, and create directions that I couldn't have foreseen.
1: Now, I, I love that, and I think what people, you know, so you were forced out, and some people need to see the writing on the wall beforehand, but not just industries that are dying finding what they love, so I want to go into, like, New Year's reinvention. Instead of New Year's resolutions, I think everyone should, you know, reinvent themselves, but what's the easiest way to do it, Dory? I mean, obviously you were forced to. What if someone doesn't have to, like, they were just lost their job? How can someone reinvent themselves in an easy way.
0: So it is it is an awesome advantage, Jesse, if someone is not forced to, and <laughs> here is why. Um, that is that you can manufacture your own timeline. Um, when I was laid off, I, I had no notice, you know, they basically said like, you know, they called me in at like four o'clock and they're like, okay. So like, as of mm, this minute, you don't have a job anymore. (laughs) It was like, oh, okay. Um, but if you, if you are the one choosing to reinvent yourself, you have, you have the luxury of time and you can plan out your, your transition, Mm -hmm. whether, and also, you know, I'll say transition, it could be that you want to quit your job and do something else. It could be that you want to start an entrepreneurial venture. It could be actually that you don't even necessarily want to make a change, but but just you want to create a meaningful and interesting side income stream, which is also perfect. You could just have it as a, as a kind of side hobby forever. But I'll give you one example from my first book, Reinventing You. There was a woman named Patricia Fripp, who it, now for years has been a very successful uh, full-time professional speaker. And I, I was I just had known her as a speaker. I was fascinated. Somewhere along the way I learned where she had started and I was like, oh my God, really? She had started as a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. And she what she had done she was a hairdresser in downtown San Francisco and she worked with a lot of executives, you know, like the Wells Fargo or Gap or Levi's people. And she would do their hair and she'd kind of like talk to them about business, you know, their, their business while she was cutting their hair. And she realized she was really into public speaking. She loved it. And so because she formed these relationships with these professionals, they started to just be really impressed with her. And they were like, hey, you know, you're awesome. Do you want to come speak to, to my company? And I mean, of course, the first time you're speaking, you're not going to be getting like 10 grand a pop <laughs> for it. You're just getting, you know, no money or a little tiny bit of money. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't enough that she could make make a transition at all. But she had a 10 year lease on her salon. And what I love about Patricia, she was so methodical. She said, you know what? OK, great. That is my runway and so over a 10-year period she built her speaking business any money she earned from it you know, she was supporting herself with the hairdressing money, but any money she earned from speaking, she would reinvest in the business. She reinvested in coaching so she could get better. She reinvested in, you know, having all the, the accoutrements you need, like a website or, you know, a really good speaker video, that kind of thing. And so by the time her salon lease was up, she was able to close it down, hand back the keys, never look back because wow. by that point she had more than replaced her salon income with speaking income and she, she made the transition, you know, sometimes people think like, oh, God, God, I'm just like leaping off a cliff and it's so scary if you plan it like that you're not leaping at all it's like it's like no stress transition
1: 100% and I think the, the brilliant lesson there's our everyone I'm hearing from its side hustle you got to have a side hustle that, that you're passionate about and then the second one patience I mean patience ten years I mean, that's, that's right. It's so important. And I think people always say, "I need to have it now," and you know, everyone that achieved something had patience. So I think that's that. That's great. And and Dory, you know, another thing I, I saw you bring up. You talk about superpowers, and you share that when you're trying to brand yourself, to ask people you respect, "What's my superpower?" So I'm gonna come back to you, Dory. What's your superpower?
0: <laughs> well, thanks, Jesse. Um, I would say. You know, and it's interesting because we we kind of learn these things over time, right? It's not it's not like we start out knowing necessarily what we're really good at. Um, I mean, sometimes we do if it's if it's something that like everybody's measuring from the beginning. Like if you're if you're a track star and you're always you know winning first place, okay, great, you're you're a good runner. Um, but a lot of times in business, especially the things that become really useful to people are much harder to understand and articulate and measure. They're just a little more subtle. Mm-hmm. And so you learn through exposure to other people and you you learn based on what people come to you for. It's almost like they kind of vote with their feet yep. in terms of what they ask you about and what they want your advice on. And you learn, frankly, just like looking at other people and seeing like, oh, everyone else seems to be struggling with this, but it's kind of easy for me. <laughs> and uh, so, so that's how you kind of pick it up over time. But I would say that a couple of things that I feel like I'm pretty good at. Uh, one is being able to take – uh, this 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 was something that I, I perhaps got better at as a journalist, but but maybe already had an aptitude for. I'm not I'm not sure they kind of interplayed together. But something I'm very good at is taking a, a really kind of unstructured, disparate mass of information and putting it into a logical and coherent sequence. Okay. So you know, like basically, what I do for all my books is I interview, let's say, fifty kind of you know fifty-ish people who are experts in their field, and I just take all of that. And assimilate it together and create a structure where, oh, okay, boom, 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 boom. Here's all the data. Now, here is how the pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. And I can I can do that pretty effectively in terms of uh, turning raw information into something that has structure and clarity. That's probably a good one. And then the other thing that I would say is uh, is a strength of mine is I, you know, this is one that I. I I try actively to cultivate because it's not just something that I feel like I'm good at, but something that I that I value. Is trying to bring people together in a way that that makes them feel comfortable and included. Um, I think that community building is really important. But a lot of people, even when they do it, they do it in a way that either either intentionally sometimes is a little bit exclusive, um, or, or just inadvertently they're not thinking about it. And so it somehow, um, you know, kind of, uh, reverts to clicks or whatever, if it's not well thought out, I think you need to be very, very thoughtful about how to make everybody feel special and included in a setting. And I I try to do that.
1: Oh, I want to dive in. I think that's so important. You know, connecting is so important, but bringing people together and making them feel comfortable. How, How are you able to do that?
0: Well, you know, I think that there's there's certain pieces that I feel strongly about, and part of it comes from me being an introvert. Um, i I find it extraordinarily stressful psychologically to enter a situation where I don't know anyone and you just have to kind of plunge in and be like, "Hi." <laughs> So will you talk to me? Yeah, you yeah. know, and you just you don't know anything about the person. It's 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 very hard. I mean, we do it because we, we often have to do it as grownups, but it takes a lot out of you. And so I feel like to a certain extent, information is power. So, for instance, this is this is not an approach that everybody shares, but I often will host dinner parties. And what I like to do personally is a few days before send out a list of who is there and a little bio of them and a link to their LinkedIn profile. And the reason that I do that is that especially for people who are maybe a little shy or they're introverted or they have a little anxiety about it, it gives them a chance to, to, to research who's going to be there and feel comfortable with it. And more to the point, think in advance about what they might want to talk to that person about (laughs) so that they are not having in the moment to be like, Oh my God, what, uh, what do I say to a cosmologist? What's a cosmologist? You know, like whatever, whatever it is. And I I think that that creates a little bit more psychological safety in the conversation so that they can enjoy it better. That's, that's one example.
1: I love it. All right. I want to dive in a little bit on, Your standout philosophies, and I was blown away, you know, asking more questions. I think that's a great tool that people don't do a lot, and you do a great job in all your books. Um, I have the yellow tuxometer on how to stand out, and you have a 42-page self-assessment, which I was blown away by. What are some easy questions, Dory, that you can find someone to help them stand out?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my favorites, Jesse, which I, I know is a cornerstone of your philosophy, is what's uh, it's it's what are the assumptions that people are making in in my field, mm-hmm. and what circumstances might have changed that would that would alter or impact those assumptions? So, you know, for instance, in a lot of industries, there's kind of this: oh, well, we do it this way. Because it's always been done this way. And you know, that's that's fine. There's probably a lot of merit to that because, you know, people people continue doing what works. However, sometimes there are there are changes that happen that if if you miss that It does mean that there's a a missed opportunity so you know and and if you if you look at them you you might say oh well this kind of alters the equation now doesn't it so for instance I mean it's probably the most famous example um, we all know uber could not exist without smartphones Mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't if you don't have a smartphone then no matter what you're coming up with it's just not gonna happen but you know starting in 2007 Okay, all of a sudden, you know, people have these like fully loaded iPhones. What are you going to do with that? And if you if you take that plus uh, transportation, there's some new possibilities to be considered that Mm -hmm. that other people might might miss.
1: So so you start. So basically, it's the assumptions that you're thinking in the way it's always been done. And I I guess I want to move into like let's get really practical right now. And I want to do a game, Dory, called the Standout Showdown. All right. Whoa. So, all right. So never done this before. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to list a type of profession and we got to say how you would make them stand out. Maybe looking at past assumptions, how you would change that. And then you can throw it back on me. We're going to go back and forth on this. You ready? <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. An insurance salesman.
0: Okay. So how would an insurance salesman stand out? Yes. I, I think that you know, there's, there's some classic ways that, that people can stand out. Right. But it, and, and sometimes the ways to stand out are are so simple, but just people people don't don't really do them enough. Maybe you're an insurance salesman that instead of uh, instead of making people come to your office, you always go to their office. You know, you make it super convenient for them. Or maybe you're an insurance salesman that If there is, uh, you know, so like a high touch kind of thing, maybe if it turns out a claim comes through and there's been an auto accident, maybe you're the person that actually gives them a phone call and sends them a fruit basket or something like that. I know I've had car accidents. No insurance salesman's (laughs) ever done that for me. Um, That would that would breed a huge amount of loyalty. So you could go deep on on, you know, customer service and high touch. There's, of course, other ways that you could do it, too. You could say. You know, maybe I'm. Uh, you could niche. You know, you could say ins- I'm going to be the insurance specialist for minor league baseball teams. Okay. And you know, if you're if you're a huge baseball fan and you're the person who can really talk shop knowledgeably and you know every facet of uh, of what a team needs. You know, why wouldn't you pick that person over some generic like, so what can I do for you, Jesse? You <laughs> yeah, know, you it. you would want the person that's like, oh, well, clearly you're going to need the this and the this and the this. And, you know, oh, how's, uh, you know, how's number, uh, you know, number 14's, uh, yeah. you know, RBIs this season? <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. So you yeah, love it. High touch with customer service and then niche down. All right. Now you could throw one at me. It's not fair for me just to throw it at you.
0: <laughs> all right, amazing. So, uh, all right, Jesse how how would you stand out if you are let's say, you're an employee and you're like a, I don't know, a project manager.
1: A pro, you got to give me another, co- give me an example. Of what type of company?
0: Okay, so let's let's say you are, uh, you're a um, a project manager at a uh, a financial services company okay and you just you wanna you want to get known inside your company as being really good and you know maybe open up other professional opportunities in the future but mostly you just you wanna you want to stand out and be recognized by your by your peers your boss etc
1: okay beautiful so you're just an employee so you're not the financial advisor so the, the premise we start with everything whatever's normal do the exact opposite and then the name of our company is fans first entertainment so when you talked about high touch I got excited so I would think financial service you're just an employee what are those extra touches that you can do that makes you stand out so for instance you know uh, I started a few years ago the thank you experiment where every single day I write a thank you letter to someone I can't imagine, you know, from financial services, not my advisor, but actually a person that just maybe works on the accounts in the background, sending, sending a thank you note. Or what you've talked about before, how can you become an expert in that field? Maybe start writing about, you know, things that you've seen in the business, even though not as an advisor, start putting yourself out there. So what I would say, the high touch, exactly like you said, how can you do extra thank yous, extra touch points that people are not expecting? I can't imagine getting a call and then all of a sudden getting a thank you letter or something, just handwritten about, hey, I'm really excited. I'm working on your account. You may not know me because I'm not the financial advisor, but I really enjoy it. If there's anything you need from me, I'll help you out. And then maybe start offering advice and other suggestions in that field. That's what I would look at doing. Sweet. All right. I'm going to give you one more because I'm having fun with this. All right. uh, A painter.
0: Oh, nice. So a painter could stand out um, because I think – Again, if we if we think back on, on kind of core core principles, right? You, you know, you always have to start with a customer. What does the customer yes. really want in hiring a painter? I mean, first of all, the most important thing they want to make sure it's high quality. They want to make sure that uh, the person's reliable. We've all heard stories about like the painter that does half half the project <laughs> and then walks off. Um, they they want to know that it's that it's an affordable price. You know, that's that's all good good things. Um, so, I think one way that you could uh, that you can ma- work it is to max out on one of those variables. Like it's always good in branding to be the most of something or to, to make this sort of bold claim. Because if, if it's, if you're kind of average, it's like not memorable. Mm-hmm. So you could call yourself the one day painter Ooh. and, and, and maybe it's like, you know, Hey, whatever you need. No, you know, this, this means you wouldn't necessarily be the, the best on the other variables. Um, like you know price for instance but you could say hey if you need painting done fast we're your guys and so maybe you come and you, you say any paint job guaranteed to be done in one day and maybe you bring like a truckload like a fire truck of like you know 12 people to paint but you you say you know, I don't care if it's a room, if it's a house, we will get this sucker done in one day. And, you know, that's a guarantee. If you have something like that for people who are interested in just getting the hassle over with, people would pay for that. Oh, I love it.
1: And it's and you're hitting the thing that's so important now, and it's time and it's convenience. And I, I think it's funny, Dory. My, uh, my father-in-law is actually a painter, and he is all about thorough so it may take him two three four days he listens to all these shows but he does an amazing job so i'm sure he's listening like one day painter who that sounds impossible but it's, <laughs> but there, there's ways that he can think about maybe he is that one that does the most thorough the best job and mm-hmm. you can always count on him so it's just niching down on what you're great on which i love you dory you passed the standout showdown that was that was awesome so thank you for oh, thank you <laughs> all right i want to keep moving because it looks like you know you put so much content out there dory i'm blown away by all the articles you write. You're on hundreds of podcasts. You're continuing to put out books. You know, I want to do a new segment: Inspiration Perspiration.
0: What's inspiring you to work hard? You know, I think what what is inspiring me to work hard, Jesse, is uh, kind of you could just call it self-actualization, I guess. You know to borrow to borrow a, a Maslow, Maslow. <laughs> term. Um, I think that it is. It is very important for me to feel like I am, I am doing the best that I can to advance my career to the place that I that I want it to be, and I feel like it can be. And you know, certainly I you know I like I like earning money. That's great. Um, But you know, that's that's secondary to the the primary objective, which is I want. I want to really feel like I'm maxing out my abilities. There's a quote, a great quote by Abraham Lincoln, which is, whatever you are, be a good one. <laughs> <That> <laughs> and I, I think I think that's a, a good philosophy for all of us. Like, you know, who cares? You're a painter, you're an insurance salesman, you're a marketing consultant. Just like, just freaking do it. If you're gonna do it, do it. <laughs> yeah, do it well, be good at it, I, I love that's it. That's right. You, and I wanna go into one little tactical thing. You've built
1: an email list of, I think, almost 50,000 people and, um, how long did that take you? And how did you do it? Just to get into a little detail, because that's, that's perspiration. That's, that's
0: working hard. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, it, it was, it was a very specific goal of mine. So first of all, um, I'm a, I'm a big believer, you know, speaking of another aphorism, am a big, I'm a big believer in what gets measured gets done. Mm-hmm. And so in 2015, I decided that that would be the year that I would really get serious about building an email list. So I'd kind of, kind of, you know, done a, a halfway sort of um, version before that of kind of assembling names and, and whatever, like, oh, uh, the person gave me their card, like, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, but I hadn't really focused on it. But in 2015, around the launch of my book, Stand Out, I decided, okay, this is going to be a primary focus. So for the first time, I developed a so-called opt-in lead magnet, which um, for folks who are not familiar with that terminology is a giveaway that, um, that people would presumably and hopefully be interested in receiving. And so it gives them a good reason to opt in for that and to join your email list. And of course they can unsubscribe from your email list at any time, but, uh, presumably if they give it a chance, you hope that they would like it and would stay on it. Um, so I was launching my book, Standout. So I created, you were alluding to, to this before, the 42-page standout self-assessment. It's a nice companion to the book and kind of, you know, also an introduction to the book for people that that maybe don't have it or aren't familiar with it. And it's, uh, it's just a series of probing questions that help people get at how their ideas are different, how they can position their their business to uh, to be different, to uh, to really individuate themselves from the competition. And so um, that was something that I began, first of all, linking to in the bio of various blog posts that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one way to drive, uh, opt-in traffic, and another was to be on a bunch of podcasts. In 2015, I was on 160 podcasts, yeah. uh, and I would and I would mention it on all of them. And so, if anyone actually is interested in checking out what the lead magnet was or what it looked like, um, you can get it for free at DoryClark.com. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com/slash/join. J-O-I-N, and you can get the 42-page standout self-assessment.
1: Love it, bro. And it's just the the focus. I mean, singular focus. This is what I'm going to do. and and you did it and I think that's so important for people they try to do so many things and they don't do them well you focused on one thing and I'm sure has this made a huge impact on your business
0: it definitely has it's opened up uh, a lot of new possibilities because um the the truth is there's certain activities that just aren't worth it if you don't have scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for instance, online courses was something that I was interested in exploring and doing. But you know, if you have, if you have a a mailing list of, you know, whatever, a hundred people or even a thousand people, it's hard to make it worthwhile to, to do an online course because you know, I'm not talking about like maybe a $10 one, but if you're doing a high dollar course, there's only a certain percentage of people that are going to be both interested in the product and willing to pay, uh, you know, meaningful price for it. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a numbers game, right? If 100%. if you're assuming that like one percent, let's say, are opting in, which is not uh, an irrational number, maybe even less than one percent. Um, You know, you can't you can't just have this this tiny little number of of people or it won't be it won't be worth it to you to invest the time in creating such a thing. But if you have scale, then all of a sudden it does make sense. And I think
1: that's an amazing segue to I just heard one of your amazing speeches and you finished the speech and this is unquotable. That's what she said. Or he said. You said we need to think about how to scale our efforts, how to do it once and share it with the world. If you want your ideas to have maximum impact, we need to figure out how to make our voices louder and go further with the same amount of effort. If we can scale our ideas, that is where we can start to make a difference. Profound, how do you do that?
0: Yeah, thank you. Well the the way the way that you can begin to do that, Jesse, is in in my book Standout, I actually Share a, uh, a framework, which is about how how ideas spread, how you can build a following around your ideas, and the basic idea is what I call first you you build a network, then you build an audience, and then you build a community. Mm-hmm. And the distinction uh, in this is this is something drawn from the interviews that I did with fifty plus thought leaders across a spectrum of different fields. Then the, the first step, the network is where you begin to get your inner circle. These are your friends, your colleagues, your kind of brain trust. that helps you, number one, um, think sharper. You know, Who are the people that help improve your thinking so that your ideas are better, your ideas are worthy of being spread. Number two, you start to build your audience. Once you have something that seems like a pretty good idea, you start talking about it, right? You've gotta put it out there mm-hmm. so that people can dis- discover it and say, oh, this this is cool, this Jesse makes a lot of sense. I wanna, <laughs> I wanna start hearing more from him. And so this could be through blogging, it could be through podcasting, it could be through writing a book, you know, any any of the many things that you are doing or that other smart people are doing. And you build this audience where people are starting to say, oh, you know, this, this is cool. I resonate with this person. But even then, you might have a pretty good audience, but it's hard, it's kind of hard to scale because you're talking to them, but you're the only one talking to them, mm-hmm. right? The final stage is... You build a community, and this is where things really start to gain traction because at this point, if you start to bring together the people who care about your ideas, and this could be in person, like with meetups or a conference or something like that, a workshop, or it could be online. It could be a listserv. It could be a Facebook group. You know, there's a lot of options, but if you somehow bring people together who resonate with your ideas, you share a philosophy, then they begin talking to each other. And because it becomes a bigger part of their life, they start talking to other people. Right. And you are now officially no longer the only person talking about these ideas. They are too. And so it has the possibility for exponential growth.
1: It's uh, outstanding. And that's what you talked about earlier is one of your superpowers. You said you bring in people together and it's like growing the community from there all of a sudden it just starts building for you and i'm sure every day you're having you're seeing exponential growth because the community is talking about what you're doing
0: that's right that's yes
1: brilliant love it all right we want i want to go some rapid fire and some more fun games because I, I know you're ready for it all right so this is going to be love it or leave it and i usually do this with different brands about you know whether you love the brand or you don't and we want to leave it but i'm actually going to do this have you given example of a brand that's standing out so I'm going to name an industry and you got to name maybe a brand or a person that is standing out from there and maybe why, okay? Oh
0: man, okay. All
1: right, you've been on the speaking circuit for a while. How about one speaker that is really doing something differently that stands out?
0: Oh, nice. Well, I I think that uh, you you're a Michael Port guy, right? Is that is that correct? I,
1: I mean, I've read all of Michael Port stuff and I know Mike McCallowitz is who I'm close with. who also works with Michael Port
0: yeah there we go. there we go. so so I think Michael Port is a great example here because he is somebody who uh I, I he has the advantage of both standing out and having a good reinvention story because his initial book that he got well known for um was uh, was basically about uh, how to how to build a successful consulting business right and so that was his initial um uh, his initial entry point into the marketplace. But he's actually reinvented his business model to focus on speaking. Mm-hmm. And so he had a book that came out a couple of years ago called Steal the Show. He now has these these workshops and community, speaking of building a community um, called Heroic Public Speaking, that he's done a, a fantastic job at. So I think that that all those things are pretty valuable. Outstanding. How about an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur that's standing out. I, um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a nod to a to a classic one who's really still still doing it, which is uh, which is Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. I think that he has has done a really good job. You know, ten years in, this guy has been has been building his brand and in innovative ways. I mean, first uh, he was one of the earliest people to to leverage YouTube in a great way, mm-hmm. and now um, just his uh, his use of multimedia and his very very distinctive. Message, uh, you know, there's in a world of, of sameness and homogeneity. He's somebody who has really been an individual in in a way that I respect. Outstanding. How about a hotel? A hotel. You know, I I think I've, I've always uh, really enjoyed uh, Kimpton, and I think that part of why they're so interesting. First of all, they've made a very conscious choice. So many hotel chains, of course, they wanna they wanna build the the brand. Of the chain, and so everything is, you know, stamped the blah 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 by Marriott or the blah blah blah, <laughs> yep. blah by Hilton. And Kempton, very deliberately, um, has sought to sort of, to your point, go go the opposite way. They don't even have hotels that are called the Kempton blah blah blah. They they all in every city have different names, wow. and so they. Um, they have no brand synergy, uh, except for people who are kind of in the know, but they position themselves as kind of unique boutique hotels that have a a kind of cool feel to them. Um, so I think that's a a fascinating approach.
1: Wow. And what, what's so great other than, you know, they're unique. What are some things you really love about them?
0: You know, they, they have some signature moves. One is that they have a free, like, uh, wine happy hour, uh, every, Every evening, you know, from, I don't know, five to seven or something like that. And it's a way to kind of build community among the guests. Um, So that's that's sort of a neat move. They also do a lot of interesting niche promotions. So, for instance, for a while, I was on their uh, LGBT mailing list and they have a promotion like, hey, it's New York Pride. Come to (laughs) New York and have this special, you know, for the weekend or something like that. It's like, oh, it's like just very smart micro-targeting Oh,
1: love it that's outstanding all right i want to move to Dietz about the tweet i love this you're you have a very strong twitter game everyone should check out dory on twitter uh what is your twitter handle dory uh it's at dory clark nailed it perfect see i can't do that at jesse cole there's way too many out there so but the tweet that you said carve out more white space because that's where ideas grow can you quickly explain that
0: yeah definitely um you know, in my in my book, uh, Stand Out, I interviewed David Allen, one of the great, mm. uh, you know, le- legendary productivity gurus of getting things done fame. And he had a great quote, which I think speaks to this, which is that it. he said it doesn't take time to have a great idea. What it takes is space. And if you kind of roll that around in your brain a lot, it's actually quite profound, which is that, you know, we've all experienced where you can have a great idea in like you know, a flash, you know, just kind of comes to you. But part of the problem is that oftentimes it doesn't come to you in a flash because your brain is so scattered. You know, you're like running around, you're, you're just kind of going a mile a minute. And so it's, it's very hard to let your brain get into that space. And so what we need to do is proactively seek to create those conditions where we're in a de-stressed place and you, you have enough um, enough space that you've carved so that you're not rushing from one thing to another because otherwise your brain is never gonna get in that zone. If you have back to you know nine back to back meetings every day, <laughs> do you really think you're gonna have this like creative insight? No way. Luck, you need yeah. even even if it's something just as basic as, as making a policy, that you always have a fifteen minute break between two meetings mm-hmm. so that you don't get, get over scheduled back to back and you have just just a minute. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's, that's really all you need to to tip it over from like complete insanity to being manageable, right. or like you know taking taking an actual break for ten minutes after. Uh, after work and instead of immediately getting in your car or getting on the subway like take a walk around the block and just think and decompress and then do it this is not about huge amounts of time it's just about clearing a little bit of space
1: yeah that's so important and you know the best ideas often come when you get into new environments I mean I wrote about in my book about Howard Schultz and how literally he came up with Starbucks being in Italy and being outside of what he was used to and that's carving out white space I mean vacations can be a really good thing so I thought that was an amazing tweet and I think everyone should think about that when they're trying to come up with ideas all right dory i want to move to the last few segments quickly here tool time i want to know what tool do you use every day in your business that's really helped you and It's a big part of your business toolbox
0: oh man my my favorite is online scheduling software you know it's 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 so it's so <laughs> basic in a lot of ways but but I'm, I'm actually i i am so surprised when people don't use it now because it's the most efficient thing in the world um the idea of people emailing you and being like, how about Tuesday? No, <laughs> How about Thursday? It's like, oh, my God, no. Which, one do, in 1995? You, which one do you use? Um, I use one called Schedule Once. Okay. Um, there's, other, there's other good ones. You know, there, A lot of people use Calendly, yep. things like that. But it's just so much better to give people a slate of options and let them pick. <laughs> I, 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 I've gotten to the point where I kind of get annoyed when people don't have it now. Pe- people
1: want to buy. They don't want to be sold. Give them an opportunity to buy and make it easy for them. I
0: mean, that's, that's right. Exactly. All
1: right. Here we go. Now time for Crazy Train. What's something you've done in your business or life that some people would call crazy?
0: Well, let's see. This is uh, this is not. It's it's probably is a little crazy, but you know, it 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 definitely served its purpose. I um, this was this was a a number of uh, years ago. But when when I was I was living in Boston at the time. When I was in New York City, I met this girl, and we really got along well. And I had started to travel a lot for my business, and if I, if there was going to be this long distance relationship it would have been really hard to keep up between me traveling all the time for work and then having to travel to New York to see her it just it just probably wouldn't wouldn't have worked it yeah. probably would not have allowed the relationship to 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 flourish in any way and so i think maybe three months after we met i asked her to move in with me and uh and she did and uh and she moved up to boston and ultimately that did not end up working out but um but i was glad that i did it honestly because i think that it was it was worth the chance and we ended up like living together for a couple of years so it was worth the chance of getting that information, I, ra- I would rather know and know that it didn't work, rather than be like, oh gosh, I wonder how that would have been, but I guess we never will know. <laughs> well, I heard from a
1: great guest recently that you know, failure—you need to look at failure as discovery, and you need to be—you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So, if you can try lots of different things and learn from them, I mean, I'm sure you're better off because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. All right, rapid fire here. We're gonna go into the favorites. All right, Dory, what's a favorite part of your morning routine?
0: Oh, man. There's a coffee shop called La Colombe. They're based in Philadelphia, and they have a number of branches here in New York, and they are great. And so my favorite part is, uh, is getting a La Colombe latte.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. All right. Favorite way to unwind at the end of the
0: day? I am a maniacal reader, and so I read for at least an hour a day often more. It's just, it's just like my go-to tick. And, uh, so at the end of the day, I'm always reading.
1: All right. We're going to go into that. That's, that's a good transition. I get asked the question too, when I'm speaking or I'm at podcasts, what's my favorite book? It's like asking, you know, someone that has 15 kids, what's their favorite kid. It's, it's a difficult choice, but is there a book that's stood out for you recently?
0: Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, There's a lot of good ones, and so if we're looking for a recent one, I actually keep a list, as a matter of fact, Jesse, in my phone, so I can tell you, oh, here's a good one that I read recently. Um, It's called Hitmakers by Derek Thompson, and that was a really interesting book about – I think he might be a Wired reporter, and it was a book about – essentially virality and about what makes, what makes uh, viral hits. Oh, and uh, it's in all kinds of genres, you know, music or, or whatever. And, uh, and I thought that was quite well done.
1: Great. Yeah. Another one in that realm too is contagious by Jonah Berger that talks about the virality, which is so important. I mean, that's marketing in itself. So, all right, beautiful. Yeah. All right. Fa- favorite podcast.
0: Favorite podcast. Oh, pre- present company uh, excluded here. Um, <laughs> other ones that I, that I really like. Um, I I have uh, been listening lately. Let's let's see who who my I'm actually going into my phone right now. <laughs> Love it. Um, oh well, this this is just great. I'll, I'll give I'll give a shout out to um, you know I think Malcolm Gladwell did an amazing job with his with his new one. It's called it's called Revisionist History, nice. and it's just. It's, it's so smart. You know, it's basically, like every episode is basically like one of his New Yorker articles. And oh, so wow. I just I just feel like it's such a treat. Like, oh my God, really? You're giving us this for free? Uh, that's <laughs> so awesome. That, that's awesome.
1: Beautiful. And the last one of the favorites, a favorite TED Talk that stood out for you.
0: Oh, yes. So many great TED Talks too. Jeez. Um, I think a, uh, one, one that I really love and have uh, you know, it, it's it's not that it has millions of hits or anything like that, but it's one. So, so you know, I think it would be too easy to be like, oh, you know, I like Jill Bolt Taylor or whatever, because, <laughs> like, everybody's already seen that, yeah. uh, e- even though it is great. Um, what I – one that I really like, and I like it uh, enough that for for the teaching that I do for uh, for Duke Fuqua, I actually show this to all my students, um, is a TEDx talk – it was NASA by a friend of mine named Stephen Shapiro mm-hmm. and it is a talk about innovation that he does to a bunch of literally rocket scientists so you wow. know what can you teach rocket scientists about innovation <laughs> uh, well Steve makes a, a good uh, a, a good a good gambit he has a lot of really interesting things to say so it's a it's a short talk I think it's six minutes so it's cool. uh, it's totally worth it Stephen Shapiro at TEDx NASA.
1: excellent we'll put down the show notes and now magic moment what's one moment you will never forget?
0: Mm, A a moment that I will never forget is is actually uh, signing the contract for my first book. That was Uh, something that had been a dream of mine, you know, really since childhood. And I just, you know, for whatever reason, who knows, just as a kid, I thought it was really cool and I really wanted to write a book. And I had to... I had to try pretty hard. There were a lot of setbacks. I wrote three different book proposals before I actually was able to finally sell one, to finally sell my fourth. And so, um, you know, along the way, it kind of felt oftentimes like it was not really going to happen. But so to finally be able to sell the the book and sign the contract was really great for, for reinventing you.
1: Wow, amazing. All right, Dory, the final four. What's something you've done differently in your life to stand out?
0: Well, something that, that I have done, uh, differently to stand out, um, you know, I, w- I wish, uh, I, I, wish this wasn't like still a thing. I think it's becoming less of a thing, but so, you know, something that I feel, that I feel really good about just in terms of like, um, putting what I think is good energy out into the universe is that I've been, you know, out as a gay person since I was 14. Sure. And so I feel like if you can just, if you can just be like, yeah, that's my deal. Whatever. <laughs> that kind of sends a message to other people too that they can just be themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I hope I hope that that contributes to a sense in the world of people just not not having to pretend so much about anything.
1: Love it. Now, what else? What advice would you give someone to stand out in business and in life?
0: I think uh, I'm a huge proponent of content creation Mm -hmm. uh, in whatever form that takes. It could be written like blogging or books. It could be podcasts, videos, whatever it is. But um, one of the principles that I teach in my recognized expert course is that a cornerstone. One of the most important things you can do if you really do want to be a recognized expert is you have to, you have to create content because otherwise people literally, they just won't know what your ideas are. And so therefore they can't tell if you are an expert that should be recognized. So it starts with content creation.
1: hundred percent. Final two. What's the best advice you've ever received?
0: I I think um I think the best advice, this, this sounds so banal, but it actually makes a really big difference. Um, It's, it's not, not getting an office. (laughs) I, uh, I think that there's a lot of things where people feel like, Oh, I have to do this. You know, this is what respectable business people do, but I really love working from home. I mean, I know it doesn't work for everybody, but a offices are expensive and B like kind of the point of being an entrepreneur is doing things the way you want to do them. And so recognizing that, that I, could work from home has been amazing. I've done it for, you know, 11 years now, and uh, it's very satisfying.
1: Awesome. And the final question, Dory, how do you want to be remembered?
0: I would like to be remembered as somebody who helped other people figure out how to crack the code to get their best ideas heard. I would like to really um, improve society by, by getting Getting talented people to uh to contribute and and to have their ideas appreciated and recognized rather than just the people with the loudest voices in the room.
1: Wow. Well you've certainly done that. Dora, you've made an impact on me, an impact on our teams here, and I can't thank you enough for being on business done differently with us.
0: Hey, thank you so much, Jesse. Great to talk with you.
1: Outstanding. Is there anywhere we can send people? I know you got a lot of great books. Where can people learn more
0: about you? Totally. On my website, DoryClark.com. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. Uh, you can get more than 500 free articles that I've written for places like Forbes and the Harvard Business Review. And you can also pick up a copy of the 88-question Entrepreneurial you Self-Assessment, too, if you're interested in developing multiple income streams in your business.
1: Outstanding. Dory, thank you so much. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Great
0: talking with you, Jesse. Thanks. Right, great.
1: Hey guys, thanks so much for your attention. Make sure to check out findyouryellowtux.com. I'm giving it away for free. The Secrets of the Yellow Tux Playbook. The six secrets to stand out directly from the book, Find Your Yellow Tux. Hope you grab a copy of Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. I appreciate you guys. Until then, stop standing still, start standing out.